السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدًا عبد الله ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليمًا كثيرًا يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والأرحام إن الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما أما بعد Always and forever we begin with the praise of God. We send our prayers of peace upon our Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We begin by sending the choicest benedictions upon him and all of those who preceded him in the call of that which is just and truth. We pray that our Lord Allah Almighty leads our hearts to taqwa. And that is a conscious awareness that is a voluntary process that we choose to love of God and be of fearing of God and of course in equal measure having hope in his mercy in this life and in the life to come. It is a great honor and a distinct privilege that I have an opportunity for the next 20 minutes or so to stand before you and speak about faith, speak about that which is dear to my heart and I pray is something that is of importance and value insha'Allah to you and your loved ones. Of the greatest privileges of course is whenever we connect together that we make our theme the word of God and the scripture. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran that this scripture that was given as a final testament to humanity, the last word of God, has preconditions to its receiving its benefit and blessing. And today my discussion will be confined to the topic that was chosen for me between two worlds. And honestly, as I was sitting there thinking about what the topic meant to me and what I wanted to share with you, I asked some of the brothers, what do you think the two worlds that are, you know, that's asked for me to discuss, what, how do you perceive that? And one brother said, you know, dunya versus akhirah. You know, the worldly life compared to the grandeur of the next life. Another brother, he said, no, no, it's the dunya, but the struggle to not go too far in this worldly life that you ruin the next life. And another one, he said, no, it's, you know, the dunya, it's not just about this life, but it's about what you want and your ambition in it, and not to lose other aspects that are also of importance. And the overall arching theme is the quest for success. And I want to begin with Surah Al-Fatiha. And I want you to kind of think about the gravity of why it is the opening chapter of Islam. See, the book of Allah, the Qur'an, which is the source for us as Muslims, as the stepping stone, the cornerstone of all success. So whenever you and I want to measure success, and success is something metric, you can measure it. How successful are you financially? I can measure. What do you have in your bank account? What kind of car do you drive? What's your postcode? It's measurable. How successful are you academically? What are your credentials? What are your qualifications? And not just what they are, but where did you earn them? Which university rather than which? 
one of the things that is not measurable is the effect of success in your life. And there's many people who have and live between those two worlds, and that's where I want to confine my discussion. The pursuit of this worldly success, but not at losing the contentment of heart and satisfaction of love and family. Allah begins the Qur'an as a kitab, you know, the concept of a book is a very sacred concept for us as Muslims. At the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there wasn't one volume, there wasn't one mushaf where all of the Qur'an was in one place. Every verse was written, gathered and collected in the hearts of people and on leaf, on bark, on deerskin, on many places. But it wasn't kitab in the concept of kitab you and I have as one volume. But it had a coherence. And the coherence is not chronological. The Qur'an, unlike the Bible, does not begin in the beginning and end at the end. The Qur'an begins with Al-Fatiha, the opening. And you begin with the name of God. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. And you acknowledge Allah as the Lord of mercy, the giver of all mercy, who is especially merciful to those who distinguish themselves. وَكَانَ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ rahima. There's an excelling cascading effect of mercy that you have between you and Allah that you can attain. You begin by acknowledging God and then recognizing that you are bound to what He seeks of you. Alhamdulillah, I'm thankful to the opportunity to be able to worship you and recognize you. An opportunity that many are denied. And of the greatest ni'mah, of the greatest blessings, graces, and the concept of ni'mah is something you are given that you haven't earned. You didn't do anything really to earn it. Had you not been given faith and led to it, you would not have come to it. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to increase our hidayah and of our children and children's children. Allahumma ameen. So you praise the Almighty. Alhamdulillah. The Lord of all existence. Because He is Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. You know that word Ar-Rahman, it's the only name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's used unilaterally. All of the other names and attributes of Allah are used in combination. Al-Hayyul Qayyum, Malik Al-Mulk, Dhul Jalali Wal-Ikram. But that word Ar-Rahman is the only one that on its own is meaningful. قُلْ اِدْعُوا اللَّهَ أَوِدْعُوا الرَّحْمَانِ أَيَّمَّا تَدْعُوا فَلَهُ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى that whether you invoke Allah as Allah in all of His might or you single out the conceptualization in your heart that He is the giver, the Lord of all mercy. Whichever name you choose of Him, you will find Him the one who answers those who turn to Him in invocation. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin. I recognize that your mercy in this life must be thanked. And I understand that on the day of judgment, I'll stand before you and be questioned about my existence and my being, my life. The same word, the Lord of all existence. To Him alone is my devotions and prayers, my sacrifice and slaughter, my whole existence and my life and death. For Him alone, the Lord of all existence. And you come to that recognition that he is the Malik, the dominant on the day of judgment, the one you are accountable to for the little and the small. 
اقرأ كتابك Take possession of your book كفى بنفسك اليوم عليك حسيبا You'll be enough sufficient of a judge for or against yourself on that day So it's at that moment in my prayer and your prayer 17 times a day I begin to ask Allah for something and I want to sign a contract after recognizing the one I'm obligated to I ask for my first request Ihdina Lead all of us Look at the wording, it's not Ihdini Every other aspect of this surah is very personal, you and Allah Alhamdulillah, I acknowledge God Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, I unilaterally, me, myself But then you come and ask for something that you want to give universal as a value Ihdina, not Ihdini All of us, everyone I've met and haven't met those who are near and those who are far, those who hear and those who can't, those who read and those who are unlettered. Ihdina. Lead all of us to a straight path, a path between two worlds. SubhanAllah. A path that isn't innovated and new. I don't want to walk a road that nobody's ever walked before. And I want you to understand the imagery of our laws as Muslims. Because some of these terms are very contentious. The concept of sharia. You hear that word, it's almost like it's a dirty word to be spoken in an English-sounding context. The word sharia in Arabic simply means a path you walk to water. And if you look at it in the context of people who lived in a desert, that meant it's the path you take to life. The word sunnah means exact same thing as sharia. It is a path, sanna tariqan, a path you walk, footsteps that you travel before you. Athar. The footsteps of those who you recognize and seek to model. Wird. The path that leads you to a well, because if you go somewhere else, you're dead and destroyed without the replenishment. And therefore, the concept of sharia and sunnah and the wird of your reading of the Quran on every day, it just simply means revisit your relationship with Allah. It is all a sirat. It is all that straight path. And that straight path doesn't meander. It doesn't go up and down and left and right. It's a path that leads you if you follow it, if you put your step where he stepped, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It will lead you to where your destination is. But recognize that where he stepped was not a new step. He stepped where Abraham stepped. And he stepped where Moses stepped. And he stepped where Adam stepped. And therefore you say, God, O oh Allah Almighty, lead me to a path that others who were favored before me followed. Not a path that has been tread upon by those who angered you. You know that word, those who earned your anger, those who you showed your wrath to in this life and in the next life. Who are those who anger Allah? They are those who know the path and choose to walk off it. See, there's two types of us. There's those who know and choose obstinately, willfully, intentionally to meander, to sidestep, to take a detour. And therefore, because of that choice, conscious, aware, voluntary, they say, I know this is the path, but I'm going that way. And no one will tell me how to live my life but me. I'm not a submitter. I'm not a surrenderer, which is the correct meaning and translation of the word Islam. 
it's not, it's not correctly translated as simply peace. Islam gives you peace because you are a Muslim. You surrender your will over to a dictate of that which will give you peace even if at a time you don't yet understand that that is the source of peace. Many people find it difficult. Really? Fasting? You know, I have non-Muslim friends that say, so by being hungry, that's going to give you peace? By waking up every day before the sun rises, five in the morning, four in the morning in the summer, that gives you peace? Doesn't that make you grumpy and tired? By giving from your wealth that you worked so hard to earn and you're making ends meet and you share it with others, that's going to give you peace? Oh Allah, don't close our heart and our sight to the path that makes us angry, angering to you. The other world is not just simply that you anger God because you know what you should do, but the other path is that you don't seek. Misguidance, dalal, is that you don't know which way you're going. But even though I know I don't know where I'm going, and I know who I should ask to find the direction, I intentionally go it alone. I intentionally go blind to the signs of God, to what my heart recognizes as truth. That my heart tells me, this is where you should be. These are the people you should be with. Everything indicates to a truth and a submission to God. But I say, if I know that I'm obligated, I'd rather be dumb, deaf, and blind. Summun. So their mind is of no value. Allah doesn't say that their eyes are blind. There's many people who are really clear-sighted, able to see everything that surrounds. But the heart is darkened to such a degree that it purposefully chooses to become unaware of its relationship with its Lord Almighty. And the moment you make that dua, you and those who hear it from you say, Ameen. Which means, oh my Lord, give me what he asked. Even if I didn't speak those words and you're standing behind me in salah and I recite it aloud, you say, Ameen. Oh Allah, I didn't read it, but give me what that man asked for. It is the most comprehensive seven verses, as sab al-mathani. Al-Imam Ibn al-Qayyim, he says that all of Islam is the Qur'an. And everything in the Qur'an is that opening chapter of Al-Fatiha. And everything in that chapter is that one ayah. So if you were genuine, and you were truly of those who ask Allah for that success, to be guided to a path that you won't discover unless he turns your heart to it, unless you seek to be from those who limit your anger of Allah and those who seek to have an enlightenment that you know you can find and need to search for, that requires effort and energy. Allah says, you want it? Turn the page. Alif, Lam, Mim, with these letters. SubhanAllah. You know, a lot of people, they try to shake faith. They'll come and they'll say, do you know everything that's in the Quran? You were like, no. Have you read the whole Quran? You understand it all? And you say, no. 
Well, how could you believe in something you haven't read completely, understand completely? And I want you to know, it is okay for you to say, I don't know. I say to you that there is no human being on the surface of the earth who can say to you, I know the minute details of the Quran. Ask them, Alif, Lam, Mim. Or Kaf, Ha, Ya, Ayn, Sad. What does it mean? All of the Sahaba had different opinions. Could you imagine if I walked in a church as a pastor and I stood in front of the congregation and I began by saying X, Q, B, Y, C. I'm reading to you the word of God. They'd be like, this man has lost his mind. What do you mean the word of God? And you as a Muslim, you have no problem with that. You have no problem knowing that these huruf, disjointed letters, are words, are letters that are confined in the speech of God. That the Quran to us is not just the meaning of the word of God. See, if I ask our cousins in faith, if I come to a pastor and I say, Reverend, did God say in the beginning, to begin the Bible, to begin the Torah, you'll say, no, that's the writing of man, giving you the meaning, the intent of the message of God. So the Bible is God's word in meaning, but not literal. And I say, well, that's a difference between you and I. I actually, as a Muslim, I believe that the letter, kaf, is from God, sent. And because I don't know it, there's many other things that I don't know in the Quran and I'm comfortable with my faith that I don't need to know every single detail about it. So Allah begins Alif Lam Mim. With these letters, I'm going to give you this final scripture. kitab. It will make up a book. La fi. You will find in it no contradiction and one that is not open for you to question if you seek its blessing. لا ريب فيه. Don't approach it with an insincerity of heart. Don't approach it, approach it with fact-finding, with mistake-finding. Don't approach it where your intent is, I'm going to disprove it. ذلك الكتاب لا ريب فيه. Approach it with a piety of heart where you seek to read it in its entirety understand its coherence, you will then find it is a guidance, but not for everyone. Hudan exclusively lil muttaqeen, to those who come to it with a piety of heart. In Surah Qaf, Allah makes it even clearer. This book, it is the reminder that mankind needs. Meaning it's things you already know that has been sent to people who came before you. It's things that your fitrah, your natural inclination and human disposition calls you to. It is a dhikr. لِمَنْ كَانَ لَهُ For the one who possesses a heart. SubhanAllah. The first condition for you to benefit from the word of God is that you need a heart that's alive. You need a compassionate heart. One that wants to know and care and feel for yourself and others. لِمَنْ كَانَ لَهُ قَلْبِ For the one who searched for their heart. أَوْ أَلْقَ السَّمْعَ 
and gives it their full hearing, full attention. They threw their complete hearing at it. And they come to it hoping to bear witness to its trueness. And therefore you find that what galvanizes faith is not just simply the word of God, but the preparedness for you to surrender yourself to the will of Allah. And therefore we exist between two worlds. A world at times, and for Muslims and non-Muslims, that seeks to lure us away from the word of God. Not just the scripture that Muslims have, but the very essence and principles, what we refer to as qiyam, that are of the Judeo-Christian doctrine and the doctrines that are unanimously agreed to as universal values. Today you find a world where the very underpinnings of what is moral is shifting and changing. Where there's a cloudiness and a murkiness between what is ethical and what is not. Where it's okay to speak half-truths to represent one side and not the other. Where it's okay to prejudice and prejudge and stereotype. Where it's okay to characterize and hold accountable a person who has nothing to do with the crimes of others. Last weekend, I was in Christchurch and we performed the Janazah prayers. And one of the most amazing experiences that I had was One of the most amazing experiences that I had in Christchurch was the outpouring of love that was expressed in the empathy of the New Zealander Kiwi people. I had men, women, children who would say, I'm sorry. And I would say this wonderful, lovely woman who draped a fabric over her head to honor me somehow and she would say, I'm sorry, with tears in her eyes. And I would say to her, why are you apologizing? You've done nothing wrong. And she says, I just want you to know this is not us. And it hurt me. Do you know why it hurt me? Because as Muslims, and I was mentioning this earlier to some of our brothers, we were sitting in the room. I said what hurt me was that at times I misunderstood. You know, I misunderstood some really good people who would say things like, Yahya, I really wish your community would come out and condemn some of the things that happen in the name of your religion. And I misunderstood in the sense that I thought they wanted me to take ownership. And it's not me. I'm not the one who did that. I'm not the one who committed that terrorist act, just like that beautiful, elderly Kiwi lady, she was not the one who did that, but she stood there with empathy, with concern, with an open heart, and she said, I'm sorry for something she didn't do, not because she owned the crime, but she wanted me to know that that's not us. And one of the things that I say as Muslims that we fail at is that we don't express our revulsion, although we do, it's in my heart, in your home, in our masjid, in our imams, in our statements from Anik and the, uh, mashallah, the grand mufti. All of us, we denounce the atrocious actions. But it's not that that's only important. It's just that moment of someone feeling in your eyes, in your heart, in your embrace, that this is 
abhorrent. And it's something as Muslims, I believe we can improve in. It's not about what you put on your Facebook page and changing your profile picture to a flag. But it's about letting people feel that genuineness of what we feel. I know it's in your heart, but sometimes we're not as expressive as we could be. And that really changed me. Wallahi, it was such an amazing experience to be able to resonate with people on that level. There are people who will try to hold us as Muslims as, as, you know, as hostages. Sometimes the media onslaught will become so ferocious against everyone that, you know, I'll even send my wife a text and I'll say, just be careful. I know you're out, just, just be careful. Just don't have your phone in your hand. And if you're sitting at a cafe and you're talking with friends, don't, you know, don't put your back to the street and, you know, those kind of things. And I know there's other communities, but like, really, you feel that? Yes. And I know there's sisters who will feel that. They feel that tension when they're outside a local community area that they feel more comfortable in. It's a world that our faith doesn't call to. And it's a failure on our part as Australians if we don't learn that lesson of what occurred in our neighboring country of New Zealand. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands us to be from those who are upright and who speak a word of truth even if it's against yourself even if it's something that you see as a fault within us. I have four minutes left. I wish I had longer. Because I don't want the message to be incomplete. The Quran commands, Inna Allah ya'muru bil adl wal ihsan wa ita'i dil qurba wa yanha'an il fahsha'i wal munkar. That our Quran calls us to that which is best in all things. The summary of the ayah is Allah wants you not to do what's right, but to do the best of what is right. That's a very strange concept in the type of world that we live in today. It's something you don't see. It's not just I'm going to do what's right. Well, that's right. You know, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do the least of what's right. Well, I didn't lie. I didn't cheat. I didn't take it all. I didn't eat it all. I didn't move. I didn't. In fact, your faith compels you to do the best of what is right. And it asks you not just to stay away from what's wrong, but to stay as far away as you can from what is wrong. To be as transparent, as clear, and as abhorrent as whatever it is you find is something that is sinful practice, to be as clear of it as you can. I'm going to leave you with one final verse from the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that worldly next life, the life that we all seek, you know, that place in paradise. Allah says, I have dedicated it, prepared it for those who do not seek ascendancy in this life alone. If your only claim to happiness, if your only claim to success is material, is temporal, is in the here and now, if your only success is in the things that you can hold 
things that you can make use of and you haven't had savings for that which is beyond this life, know that there's an imbalance and you've preferred one life over the next. Not just that they don't want to have supremacy in this earth, but they don't want to cause any trouble and havoc for others. Live with this maxim of our law. I want to leave this life. You, your aim to leave this life where nobody owes you anything. And more importantly, that you owe nobody anything. That you leave a, a soft footprint. That not even a tree has been cut down unnecessarily by you. The Prophet of Islam, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he says, لا تقتلوا نملة ولا نحلة. Don't ever kill unnecessarily an ant or a bee, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That a heart of someone who is a believer, who is compassionate, is a person who gives charity even to the ants that crawl. One of my teachers in Al-Madina, I remember we were eating and every night we'd eat and the last few scraps of breadcrumbs, you know, you break bread on a table and there's a few breadcrumbs. He would take out his handkerchief and he would pull them into that little handkerchief. And I thought, that's a very strange thing to do. Like, what are you going to do with these breadcrumbs off the table? It's a small amount. You can't even pick them up with your fingers. And he'd put them in his handkerchief and put his handkerchief in his pocket. And we'd walk out. And maybe about the fifth or sixth night, I said to him, Sheikh, what are you doing? Why are you taking these breadcrumbs? He said, Sadaqa. It's a charity. I'm like, charity? Who are you, you going to feed breadcrumbs to? And then I noticed as we were walking, he would take out discreetly, all of his students around him, he would take out discreetly his handkerchief and just empty it out on the ground where he saw ants or little, you know, insects that were roaming. It was his act of charity, even in that compassion. That's the ideal of a Muslim. That's the heart of someone who submitted their affair to Allah, who understands that Allahu Akbar. Allah is the greatest. When you say Allahu Akbar for Salatul Dhuhr soon, mean it. Mean it by showing it. That there's nothing greater in your life than what he's asked. And there's no great worry that you have that's greater than him that he can't assist you in. And there's no success that you've ever accomplished that wasn't because of what he helped you and determined for you in your fate to achieve. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant me and you longevity faithfulness and commitment. May Allah open our hearts to others and may that be reason for us to join with each other in the almighty paradise. I leave you with a final dua of one of the great imams, Al-Imam Ibn al-Jawzi. He was a great scholar of faith and he was teaching his students by the banks of the Euphrates River. And on the other side of the banks, there were people who were committing sinful behavior. They were getting drunk and messing around. And this is eight, nine hundred years ago. And his students who are committed to the study of faith, the sacred knowledge, they said to him, Shaykh, Idullah, make, just ask God to get rid of these people. Look at them, they're ruining everything. They've, we're here to study, we're enjoying the creation of God and their, you know, their lewdness and sinfulness. And Imam Ibn al-Jawzi, he said, Allahumma kama as'adtahum fi dunya, fazidhum sa'adatan fil akhirah.
O oh Allah, as you gave them happiness in this life, even though it was in a sinful way, make their greatest happiness in the next life. Meaning, let them come towards you, change their life so that they understand that true happiness is not the here and now alone, but in the days to come. May we be all joined in the company of al-Nabiyyina wa-Siddiqina wa-Shuhada'i wa-Salihin wa-Hasuna ula'ika rafiqa Subhanak Allahumma bihamdika shadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruhu wa atubu ilayk Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh wa sallallahu wa sallama ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim tasliman kathira Every Muslim dreams to be Up in Jannah, 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 Jannah It pies person's destiny